Nehemiah chapter 2. The last two weeks have been such amazing weeks as we've opened up to Nehemiah. And this book is completely loaded with leadership principles. It's completely pregnant with meaning, if you can use that word as well. As we approach it, we see how much we can draw from it. Nehemiah chapter 2. And Nehemiah's here objective and purpose is to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that for a long time have been laying in ruins and in disaster. How can that figuratively be a demonstration of our lives, of our church, of our ministry, that God wants us to rebuild what's been broken down? And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. But now as he had been praying, now as he has been, now as we learn planning, he's going to start now plowing. He's going to get to work now. But we understand that the plow was not led by just mere emotion. It wasn't just emotion. And I think that we have to be careful when we are about to embark in ministry or whatever it is that God's called us to do, that it's not just emotion. Because for Nehemiah, it was emotion with prayer. It was emotion with planning. It was emotion with the Word of God. It was emotion with execution. And one of the things we've learned already so far that if God's going to start a revival, and before God will start a revival, He will first break our hearts. Understand that. If God's going to start a revival in your life, He's first is going to break your heart. Because that's where it starts, where you're, when your heart is broken. In Nehemiah chapter here, 2 verse 10, we learn that Nehemiah faces opposition. And one of the things that we noted even last week, that every time that you start something great for the Lord, whatever it would be, you're going to face challenges and you're going to face opposition. Anytime you want to build a wall, anytime you want to reestablish what God has built and the enemy came to destroy, you're going to face some challenges. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, that they, Nehemiah had arrived at Jerusalem, they were deeply distressed, it says, and here, and disturbed, that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. They were deeply disturbed. You see, we know that opposition is going to come. And it's not about if opposition comes. I, don't, I want you to know that and change and shift your perspective that when you're drawing closer to God, it's not about if opposition will come. It's about when opposition comes, what will you do? In Proverbs chapter 3, I was reading it this week. It was so encouraging me, encouraging me in regards to Nehemiah chapter 2 that I actually want to read to you Proverbs 3.25 where it says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror. Don't be afraid of sudden terror nor trouble for, from the wicked when it comes. Don't be afraid of sudden uh, terror, nor trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and He will keep your foot from being caught. Isn't that amazing that today we can know that as we're going to reestablish, to rebuild, to restore what God has done, that the Lord is going to be our confidence, that you can rebuild in confidence, that you don't have to rebuild in fear? In distress, in depression, in insecurity. There's so many times that as Christians we live in insecurity. And that's not the way that God designed us to live in insecurity. God designed for you to live way past insecurity. He designed for you to live in confidence. He is your confidence. 
Proverbs 3.25, it says, Don't be afraid of sudden terror. Do not be afraid when the trouble comes from the wicked, because the Lord will be your confidence. And Nehemiah comes here now to Jerusalem with a full heart, full of prayer. A heart that is full of faith. A heart that is full of wisdom spent in prayer. A heart that is full of big vision. A heart that is full now of support from the king. And now he gets to his destination. He, he finally is here. And there are three major points that I want to encourage you to jot down if you like taking notes. What we learn in just ten verses, three major points of when you arrive at the scene. <laughs> when you pull up to the scene, what are you going to do? When it's time for you to, to now start to build a wall and you're going to face opposition, what is it that you're going to do? Because we all face opposition, whether it's in our family, we face inside interior opposition, or we face external opposition, right, with the world, or maybe it's, it's spiritual warfare that's always taking place as we try to build and get closer to the Lord, right? But three major principles that we learn here when facing the challenge. Number one, we learn investigation that Nehemiah does. He investigates. Number one, investigation. Number two, cooperation. We see that Nehemiah also calls for cooperation. And number three, we see in the leader of Nehemiah, we see now determination. I encourage you to really take now and hone in and glean from these three principles because we're going to see them come to life and pop out of the pages of this book right now the investigation the cooperation and the determination these three things made nehemiah not only efficient but it also made nehemiah effective it made him not only efficient but it made nehemiah effective not only did he do things right not only did he get the job done, but he also did all the right things. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through Nehemiah, that you would show us your word, God. And Lord, we ask that even in these 10 verses, Lord, as we're about to read, that these, Lord, 10, 11 verses, Lord, would come to life for us in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. I said, so when I came to Jerusalem, I was there three days. Then I rose in the night, and a few men with me, Nehemiah 2.12, and I told no one of what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. You like what Nehemiah does? I, I just, you have to admire Nehemiah. He knows that there's opposition, and, he, and in verse 11 it says, He came to Jerusalem, he arrived at Jerusalem, but he's very tactical and he's very strategic about how he restores he does not restore reckless. He doesn't restore relentless. He's very strategic and very tact tactical in what he's about to do. He's formed a plan. And you have to understand, look what he, it says here in verse 11, that he was there three days. He didn't do anything. He showed up and for three days he was in solitude. And we see that in three days we don't know anything that took place. It was solitude and it was silence. He was waiting, number one thing, for God's timing. And when it's about rebuilding and about leadership and about restoring, it's all about God's timing. We see that he waited for three days in solitude. In the secret, he waited. In the silence, he waited. And that's when you know the character of Nehemiah. It's been said that character, it's what you are when nobody's looking. And he did not start service for God until he was first alone with God. 
And I want you to remember that today that we cannot start service for God until we're first alone with God. And then when he was alone with God, we see that he's about to count the cost of what he's about to do. Because if he was going to build, he was going to do it the right way. Once he started, Nehemiah had the attitude that I'm not going to take my hand off this project, off the ministry. I'm not going to look back either until I can say it is finished. The wall is completed. How many times have we said, you know what, I'm going to put my hand and then I'm going to take it off when it's inconvenient. No, Nehemiah was going to do this right. He waited three days. He was in solitude. He was in secret. He was in silence now waiting for God's timing because once he put his hand, he was not going to take it off. And he sure wasn't going to look back until the project was completed. This is a man that's determined here, we see. And in verse here, 12, it says, I rose at, in the night. I love here that he's wrestling. This is a man that is wrestling with a burden in the dark. <laughs> this is a... Operation uh, reconnaissance, a, a, a strategic and tactful operation that he's doing at night with a few men. And, and notice what he does here and what he tells us in verse 12. And I told no one, I told no one with a few men, I told no one. First of all, he was up at night while everyone else was sleeping. Those are the people that are going to be the biggest difference makers. The biggest difference makers in ministry or in your family are those that are up while everyone else is sleeping and they're searching out, they're investigating, they're wrestling in prayer because they have a burden. And then we notice that Nehemiah does another thing. He wasn't in a hurry. You have to understand that. He took three days. He was taking his time. He was not in a hurry. Understand that three months already passed by. He goes to now Jerusalem and he waits another three days. You have to understand, Nehemiah is a patient guy. He's not rushing into anything. He's not in a hurry. And it says that he told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor there was no animal. There was no, not an entourage with him. He wasn't forming a scene. There wasn't a big crowd. It said just a few men in the dark at night. And I told no one what God put in my heart to do. You, you know what we learned already off the bat? That you don't have to tell everyone what God puts in your heart to do. That's an important lesson. Because Nehemiah didn't want the attention. He didn't want, look at me, look what I'm about to do. He wasn't doing it for self. So he, it was okay for him to keep it to himself. He didn't have to go and announce, look what I'm about to do, what the Lord put in my heart to do. No, today every time that the Lord puts something in our heart, sometimes what we want to do is the first thing we want to do is we want to tell other people what God put in our heart because we want to go and do it and we want to announce it. <laughs> Nehemiah here is showing us such a way. He's saying, you know what? I didn't tell nobody what God put in my heart to do. I love what Charles Spurgeon, when he says about this. You will often find it best not to commit your plans to others. You will often find it best not to commit your plans to others. If you want to serve God, go and do it, and then let other people find out afterwards. You have no need to tell everyone what you're going to do. And I may add, there's no one that needs to know what you're retelling what you have already done. For very, very frequently, God withdraws Himself when we boast about what is being done. Isn't that the truth that God withdraws Himself when we start to boast about what's getting done? When we start to boast about what we want to do? When we start to boast about what we've already done in the past? Very often, God withdraws, all right, that you want the attention, then I'll step away from it, and you could do that on your own. Nehemiah teaches us he didn't have to tell anyone. He didn't have to tell anyone. He didn't want the attention. And you see that Nehemiah goes into the investigation here. We're going to see, number one, the investigation. He starts to count the cost of the damage that was made. 
Because he wants to know how much effort it's going to take, how much money it's going to take, how much leadership is needed to get this job done. And we see that take place in verse 13 when he says this, And I went out by night through the valley gate of the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls. What, what does he do? He's, he's realistic. He wants to see how bad the situation really is. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't try to now uh, decorate it or, 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 or really paint it as if it's really not as bad as it really is. He viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and the gates which were burned with fire now. He viewed the walls and he was realistic. He went up at night and it says in verse 14, Then I went up to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned, returned here back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. What does he do now? He takes a tour of the entire city and he's looking at the walls and he's being realistic because he wants to know and he wants to be aware of the details. He takes a tour because he wants to be aware of the details. If someone took a tour of your life the same way that Nehemiah took a tour of Jerusalem, where they might notice maybe that there are broken down portions in the walls of your life and in your heart, maybe of your friendships, maybe at work, maybe in your marriage. That there are pieces to that wall that if they took a tour in your life, that it were actually broken down. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit, whoever cannot control his own spirit, his own emotions, it's like a city with broken down without walls. Like a city broken down without walls. You see, many lives today, even among us today, many of us, or like a city with broken down walls. And we've talked about this because of prayer, because of devotion, because of maybe unforgiveness, because of bitterness, because of pride. And we're living in a, in a constant sense of fear, in a constant sense of poverty, in a constant sense of insecurity. We can't hide our eyes or turn the other way when it comes to looking at the broken down places of our lives because that's where we begin to grow and that's where we begin to build. When we see that something needs to be built, something needs to be addressed, do not look the other way. It's time to rebuild and address and be aware of the details. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's taking a tour because he wants to realize and recognize the need. You see what Nehemiah does? He makes himself available to the need. A lot of times we don't even know that there are needs around us because we never make ourselves aware of them. You want to make yourself aware of the needs and make yourself available to look for the needs. Say, Lord, make me sensitive so I can see the needs and then use me to meet those needs. How many times, time and time again, have we come to church and there are needs, however, they're not being met because we don't ask the Lord, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see the needs. Maybe even in your own home that the situation is worse than what you thought it was, but you haven't paid attention to details, so you have absolutely no idea that this relationship with your children or with your wife or with your boss is, is worse than what you actually thought because you're not aware of the details and then it catches you by surprise. You see, this is important that we realize this. In verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Well, what a beautiful line. <laughs> and the officials that, that chaperoned him, the officials that the king sent to Jerusalem to protect Nehemiah, they didn't know where he went or what he did. That is amazing here it says. They didn't know where and they didn't know what. He didn't tell other people, hey, guess what, guys, I just want to wake you up really quick. I'm going to be out for a couple hours in the night. I'm going to go search the walls and then I'll be back. I'll let you guys know. No, he just went and he did it quietly. 
There's, there's something beautiful about when, when a leader goes out quietly, when he doesn't have to make a scene. And one of the best leadership qualities that we learn is that those that are called to lead do not have to be loud. And I'll say that again because I want you to know that those that are called to lead don't have to be loud. It's not about look at me. It's not about let me stand out. It's not about let me uh, parade myself. He didn't blow a trumpet. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6 verse 2? He told, don't be like the hypocrites, like those that want to be seen. That every time they do something great, they blow a trumpet to let others know. The Bible tells us, if you're going to do something good, don't even let one hand know what the other hand is doing. That's how quiet the Lord wants you to be about when you are now stepping up to the plate. And what does he do as he takes that tour? He investigates. He wants to be realistic. He wants to be aware. He investigates. He does it quietly. He does it to glorify God. And those, they didn't know where he went or what he did. In verse 17 to verse 20, we start to see something else. Nehemiah starts to do one thing that's important in every ministry, in every marriage, in every family, in every church, is that the leader would stand up and start to cast vision. Start to cast vision on what the Lord is calling him to do. All right, now the Lord told me to do, but now those that are helping, now those that are going to come alongside shoulder to shoulder, let's cast some vision now. We want to get them the attention. We want them to know because after the investigation comes the cooperation. And yeah, sure leaders are needed, but also it's needed that everyone else does their part. <laughs> A lot of times we want to blame the leader. Are you also doing your part? Are you doing your part? Because in verse 17 it says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. What does a reproach mean? That we won't no longer be a disgrace. But he, learned, he uses three important pronouns here that we have to really note. We can't just read them and move on. Because look what Nehemiah does. I, always, I, I love the pronouns he uses. And he says here, you see the distress that, here, first one, that we are in. It says, and now he goes on, that, that the, how the Jerusalem lies in, in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us, we and then us, build the wall that we, again, we may not be, no longer be in reproach. What is he telling them? What is he doing? He's giving them an invitation. He's extending an invitation to them. He's saying, hey, understand this. We need you to cooperate. <laughs> we need you to get involved. Look, do you see that we are in distress? Come let us build so that we no longer can be a reproach. That we can rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He says, look at us that are in Jerusalem. He, he calls for their attention now. And he tells them, do you see this? Do you see the problem that's going on? Please do not look the other way. Look at the problem, please. I want you to stare at it really quick. I want you to, to, to focus on that. Because once you focus on the problem, it's going to move you now to be a problem solver now. To be a wall builder. And look what Nehemiah is doing. He says, come, let us build. Come, let us build so we can no longer be a disgrace or a reproach. What is he using here? He's using an internal motivation. He's trying to make them believe and giving them and instilling and depositing in their lives hope that the situation doesn't have to stay that way. And today I want you to know the situation doesn't have to stay that way. Maybe you're saddened and maybe you're disillusioned. Maybe you're, you're set back. And you're waiting for that comeback. <laughs> but when you look at the situation, understand that there is hope and this situation doesn't have to stay that way. 
Nehemiah here is speaking literally life into these people that were so okay with continuing the situation the way it was. In fact, he was using this opportunity and asking them to be a part of permanent change. And when you hear that, that's just uncomfortable. <laughs> Anytime you talk about change, people get uncomfortable. Because they're so safe, they're so secure, they're so comfortable in the, the way that things are, are happening, the way things are going. And we don't want a breakthrough to, to be able to change things because breakthrough costs something and I'm going to get uncomfortable now. But now he's asking them to be a part of permanent change. He's inviting them to rebuild here and to be a part of something that would produce long-term results. Are you ready to be a part of something that's going to produce some long-term results in your life? Some permanent change in your life. Not, not just emotional change. Some permanent change in your life. Some long and lasting change. Long-term results. You know what Nehemiah does? I love what he does here because he identified with the problem and the situation. He didn't show up to Jerusalem and say, look what you guys are doing. And nothing's right around here. Don't we love doing that? Come with an outsider's perspective? Oh, are you guys going to do it that way? I love when people come up to me and tell me that. Hey, are you guys going to set up today? Not you guys. What do, you, who, what do you mean when you talk about you guys? <laughs> you mean we. Are we going to set up? You're going to set up too. <laughs> are you guys going to do that? Who's you guys? I don't know who that is. <laughs> are we going to do that? That's cooperation. And he doesn't go and he doesn't tell them, you know what? Uh, it's your fault. He plays the, the blame game. He doesn't do that at all. And, and, and understand, he also wasn't there to do it for them. A lot of times we have a problem and we want the leader to come and fix our problem. Oh, come on, fix my problem, please. Here's my problem. He wasn't there to build a wall for them either. He was there to partner with them. And in starting this job of restoring the walls of Jerusalem and taking the people back to where they needed to be. He wasn't there to do it for them. He wasn't there to play the blame game. He was there to be a partner and a leader for them. And understand that. And that's what he's inviting them in the New Living Translation, it says, But now I say to you, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls and end this disgrace. Today, maybe God's calling you to rebuild the walls and end the disgrace in the situation that for a long time, you thought, man, this situation is gone for a long time, too long now. But now you're called to build. And what does he do in verse 18? He starts to instill confidence in order for them to cooperate. This is a very important quality in leadership that we all have to learn, to instill confidence. He starts to give them words of affirmation. And what does he say in verse 18? He says this, And I told them of the good hand of my God which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise and build. And they set their hands to this good work. What does he do? The first part of 18, it's, it's an amazing portion because Nehemiah tells us what he tells them. What does he do? He tells them about the good hand of God that was upon them, upon him. He was proving to them that this work wasn't a work of the flesh. This was a work that God was funding the work. God was providing for this work. And he says in verse 18, I told him that the hand of God which was good upon me. I told him that God was opening up doors. I told him that God was providing. Not only that, I told them that the king's words that he was that what the king had told to me that he was spoken what he had spoken to me. What does he do? He says, God's hand is upon us, and the king's words are supporting this project. What is this leader doing? He's inspiring some encouragement into the life of these people. I think the reason a lot of times people don't follow us is because they don't trust us. 
And you know why they don't trust us? Because we've never encouraged them. We've never allowed them to believe that the problem can be fixed in their lives. That, that we can partner with them and, and be there side by side. And therefore, they never see us as a leader. They don't. But here he comes to inspire, encourage, and to motivate them. And he says, look at the hand of God. The, the, look at the king's heart. The God, God has touched the king's heart, and his heart is touched by the Lord to support the project. You know, if something has been touched by God's fingerprints all around it, people will want to support the work because God's fingerprints are all over that work. But if it only has man's fingerprints on that work, people will rightly hesitate and not really want to be a part of that because they see it's just a work of man and it's not a work of God. Today are God's fingerprints all over the walls and the bricks that you're laying out the foundation or is it man's fingerprints that you see there? You see, it's so important here because Nehemiah assured the leaders that it wasn't his project. I find so much comfort when there are things going on in the ministry and the Lord reminds me, it's not your church. And I just say, thank you. <laughs> because it's the Lord's church. And if there's things going on in the ministry, that means that they're His problem. <laughs> he knows about them too. You know what I love about the Lord? That the Lord, when, when we say, My, this family is your family, that this house is your house, that not only the Lord knows what you need, just trip out on this. He also knows how much you need. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we think, oh, Lord, thank you because we know that you know what we need. He doesn't only know what you need. He also knows how much you need of it. And it's interesting here because we see that Nehemiah assured him that this isn't his project. It's God's project. And if people, I'll tell you, if people sense that this vision is about, really is about you. It's about raising you up. It's about making your name great. It's about really uh, all about you. They're going to hesitate to really support and come alongside. But if they see, if they can literally see that it is the Lord's, if they can see that this is all about God, if they can see it, then they're going to be ready to partner with you and start to build. Do they see you or do they see the Lord in you? Do they see your fingerprints on the ministry or do they see the Lord's fingerprints? One another thing that I, we learned here about Nehemiah before he gets this amazing response is that he didn't beg them. He didn't say, oh, come on, please. I just made this trip. Come on, can you guys, can you guys help me build? Whoever builds, I'll tell you guys, I'm going to start giving some, some prizes after for whoever's here to build tomorrow. I'm going to start giving out some rewards. Who wants a vacation out to the Sea of Galilee? Because I'll give you one right now. He didn't start offering any type of packages to keep people interested. You know, more and more we see that the church is becoming a social club where you have to entertain people and promise them something so that they, come, they can come and serve, to keep them interested. The only interest, the only motivation, the only incentive that he was giving them is hope. This is for your own good. If you don't want to do it, it's on you. God is in this work. He's moved the heart of the king. Are you willing to rise up and build? He didn't try to finesse them into building Try to give them a trick. Try to give them an entertainment, a reason to stay. And I think sometimes we try to do that. 
If, if we don't give them the right words or, or, or the right little prize or the right little pat on the back, then people will not want, to, not want to stay. And all those things are external motivation. They really aren't the way God calls. God doesn't do a work when the leaders are manipulating people, when they're putting people into this guilt trip or, or pressure or carnal rewards for whoever comes, right? Or these little prizes that, that they give to those that are serving. Yeah, that's, not the, that's not the way God works. That's not, never a part of God's vision for getting things done. What Nehemiah is doing, he's relying on God. Stop trying to manipulate the situation, rebuild the walls by saying, you know what, I'm going to give. I'm going to search. I'm going to do it with my own hands or my own strength so that, that, you know what, maybe my wife, maybe my husband, maybe my children love me again. That doesn't work. That's not the way God does it. He doesn't do it with prizes. He, that's not the way the Lord does it. The Lord does it when you rely on Him and your only inward motivation is that He would build the walls and that they would stand tall and high and that they would last because they were built the right way. But look at what the response is in verse 18. So they said, they responded. They didn't say, no, forget you. Um, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know what? We've been okay with having no walls for a long time, so we're not going to start building now. This is what I want us all to say right now, what they said. So I'm going to read it for us, and I want us to cooperate and contribute and really believe this and say it out loud. It says here, so they said, here we go, let us rise up and build. Yeah, nobody here is building today, right? So they said, one more time, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. Think about how inspired they felt. How motivated, how encouraged they felt. Let us rise up and build then. God's fingerprints is all over this. It's about the Lord. It's for our own good. Let the beg someone to come and pray. Are you kidding me? Beg someone to come to prayer night when it's for your own good? Beck someone to come to Bible study, it's for your own good. To serve the Lord, it's, it's for the house of God. And he said, let us rise up and build. Let us contribute. Let us collaborate. Let us be committed. Contribute, collaborate, and commit. Today, will you contribute? Today, will you collaborate? And today, will you commit to the building of the wall? Today, will you contribute? Today, will you collaborate? And today, will you commit? You see, they, they, and look what happens here in verse, this very verse, verse 18. So they set their hands to the good work. They put their hands, they got their hands inside. They got their hands involved. You know why they set their hands to good works? Because they set their hands because their heart was moved already. And they showed here this unity of vision that really displays a unity of purpose. We have all one vision. We're united in vision and we're united in purpose. We want to get the same thing accomplished. Not, that person doesn't want to get something different accomplished. We're all trying to get the same thing accomplished so we're willing to sacrifice together. We're willing to stay up late together. We're willing to wake up early together. We're willing to contribute together. We're willing to collaborate together. We're willing to commit together. Yes, leadership is needed, but everyone must do their parts. And there's no separations here in what they're about to say. There, there's no one with an independent spirit. Where they're saying, you know, well, you know what, we're not going to do it that way. We'll do it later. Be careful that you don't have an independent spirit in the work of the Lord. Even in your own home. Have the same cause. I love what it's been said before. A united church will be an unconquerable church. You want us to, to be an unconquerable church, an unconquerable city, an unconquerable ministry, an unconquerable marriage, an unconquerable family, an unconquerable... Now, 
household, then it's going to be a united one first. Because cooperation here increases efficiency in amazing proportions. When you cooperate, when everyone's standing together, holding in arms and hands together, it increases the efficiency and how much work we can get done in amazing proportions like never before with unity. In fact, there is no work and there is no limits to what God can do when His church is united and when His church is praying. I love what it says. Alan Redpath says, the moment that cooperation is sacrificed as an essential, the moment that cooperation is sacrificed as an essential, Real power is at a disappearing point. The moment that cooperation is sacrificed is an essential. What does he say? Power is at the disappearing point. We need to cooperate. You need to cooperate. But you know who else you need to cooperate with if you want to see the walls be built? Cooperate at the cross. Cooperate with Jesus when it comes to surrender. Because He cannot do nothing in you and He cannot do nothing for you if you're not willing you know what we see in the people here? Willingness. Willingness. God will never do nothing with you, in you, or for you. He will not do nothing in you, for you, or through you if you're not willing. You must be willing. If you're not willing, those walls are not coming up. Right? And it says in verse 19 and 20 now, as we end. And it says, But Sambala, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, oh, Wait a minute here, verse 19. And Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. And they laughed at us and despised us. Are you kidding me? Back in chapter 2 here, verse 10, only a few verses prior, it only named two people that were opposing the work. It said that it was Sambalat and Tobiah. Now Sambalat and Tobiah went and they called their buddy Geshem. Isn't it interesting that when people start to criticize the work, they start to maybe grow a little bit, they start to form a little thing going on now. First it was Sambalai and then Tobiah, and now they brought Geshem in, and you see that this opposition is a tool for spiritual warfare. I want you to know, every time there's opposition in your life, and maybe it's even in people, maybe it's in a person or something they said, it's just spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. But we see here that critics and complainers show up on the scene and they start to laugh and they start to despise them. They look down upon them. You know why they look down? Because number one, they were prideful. Number two, they were jealous. Number three, insecurity. It's always interesting when you're doing ministry and somebody comes to complain or to criticize. I've told you guys in ministry meetings before that if you're going to come to me to complain or to criticize, then keep it to yourself. I don't have time for that. And Nehemiah is going to show us that he doesn't have time for that either. Because that's distracting. That doesn't let you build the right way. And look what they're telling them now. Look what they're about to say. They, it says that they laughed and despised and said, look at their words. What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? They start to say, what are you doing? They start to challenge them. Are you rebelling against the king? You know that critics... And those that complain, critics and those that complain, you know what they do when they laugh at you? And they start to complain. You know what critics and complainers actually are? The most of the time they're ignorant. They don't even know what they're talking about. But they just want to be able to have a voice. They have no idea what they're talking about. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they went and said, are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah could have said, look at my letters from the king. What are you talking about? They had no idea that the king was supporting the work. 
I think we better be careful before we criticize or complain about something and take it to the Lord so that we don't look as if we don't know what's going on. Because these, these men showed themselves to be ignorant. They didn't know now that the king was supporting the work. And not only did we see the investigation that took place when he took the tour, not only did we see now in the second place, what else did we see? We see the cooperation when he invited them to participate. But now we see the determination that he stayed focused, even with the critics, even with the complainers. He stayed determined. Verse 20, the last verse. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven, him himself will prosper us. I love what he does. He takes it back to the Lord. And he's focused. God will prosper us. What does he do? He's trusting in God. Because Nehemiah cares more about what God has to say than what about people has to say. Nehemiah is more concerned about God's authority than man's authority. And, and he's not rebelling against the king. In fact, he's submitting before God. I'm not rebelling. In fact, I'm doing quite the opposite. I'm submitting. God called me to do this. All I'm doing is submitting. I'm submitting before the king. And he's showing himself that he is obedient. And look what he says. God will prosper us. It's the Lord. We're depending upon the Lord. We're trusting on the Lord. He's going to help us succeed. We're not rebelling against the king. And he, say, he says this. Well, prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. We his servants will arise and build. When, whenever you feel discouraged that the enemy is coming... That the enemy is opposing you, the enemy is challenging you. You know, there's, there's two things we learned that Nehemiah does here. Is that he, number one, he reminds himself of what, who he is. He's a servant of God. We his servants. And number two, he reminds himself of what God called him to do. To rise up and build. I think that that's what we have to do when we're discouraged. First, remind yourself who you are. And then second, remind yourself what God called you to do. He called you to rise up and build. And that's what he says in that verse. He said, he, we, his servants, will arise and we will build. He was ready for the criticism. You see, when, when you're a leader, you have to learn to handle criticism. We hate it. I, I honestly, I, I used to get very uncomfortable with it. <laughs> and then I started to learn that criticism is part of the leadership package. <laughs> it's part of the leadership package. And if you're not getting criticized, then, then, then you know, more than likely, chances are you're not really getting anything done. Look what he tells them next. Because he says, therefore, because of the Lord, because we're his servants, because he called us to do this, because we're determined, we, will, we as servants will rise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Get out of here. You have no heritage. You have no share. You have no blessing. You have no part. You have no memorial. I think this is important that we tell the enemy this all the time. That even when it comes to the critics and the complainers. You know what Nehemiah essentially was doing? He, he wasn't really scared of hurting people's feelings. <laughs> Nehemiah, what he's doing, he says, you don't belong here. God is doing a great work here. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then just move on. That's what he's saying. You have no heritage. You don't belong here then. God is doing a great work here. This has, it has God's fingerprints all over this. And if you don't want to be a part, then just move on. He's telling them this, this thing. Because he didn't have time to spend. He didn't have energy to spend. He didn't have resources to spend with the critics and the claims. And he, understand, look how, how short his response is. How brief he is. He didn't give an explanation. You don't have to offer an explanation when you're doing God's work. 
He didn't try to offer an explanation. He wasn't a yes man. But, you know, he didn't let them distract him. And he didn't let them delay him. Criticism and complaints can oftentimes distract you. Can oftentimes delay you. Can oftentimes discourage you. And that's why we cannot allow ourselves to be fed with the criticism and the complaints. And now we ourselves can tell our own spiritual enemies. I want you to know this today. That you can tell your spiritual enemies the same thing. You can tell the enemy when he comes in to challenge you. You can tell him the same thing. You no longer have a heritage. You no longer have right or memorial in my life anymore. I belong to Jesus Christ. You don't belong here, enemy, in my house. You don't belong in my house. And you might as well move on because I'm not going anywhere. This belongs to the Lord right here. You have no heritage. You have no belonging here, enemy. Get out of this home. I belong to Jesus Christ and we're not going anywhere. That's exactly the attitude that Nehemiah had. And he knew this. He, he didn't go and try to get the crisis response team to figure out the best way to answer. Sam let Tobiah and Gashem and said, you know what? Let's, let's try to go on and give them a really good answer that sounds political, that doesn't sound too offensive. Because if they sound offensive, then we're going gonna to sound like we're really our prideful people. He didn't try to do all that. He said, hey, God's doing a work. You're not going to be a part of it. Then get out of here. God's going to prosper us. God's going to see us through. Don't spend your attention and energy on that stuff. Because the moment that you do that, you're going to limit what God wants to do in your life. If you let that feed into that mental warfare, that mental warfare, understand this, even in this opposition didn't go away this time. Sambala and Tobiah were there, they popped out in Nehemiah through the end until the wall was finished being built. <laughs> they always pop up. They always oppose the work. But he never stopped building. He never stopped building. You know why? Because he was determined to allow no one but God to stop the work. God started this work, and God will finish this work. The only person that will stop, the only one that will stop this is the Lord. I want to ask us as a church, are we going to complain or are we going to collaborate? Are we going to criticize or are we going to contribute? This is what the Lord is showing us even through this scripture. One of the things that really spoke at the end is that, that Nehemiah, what does he do when he goes to inspect? He takes that tour. He goes in through what? It says that he goes in through that valley. And if we go back to even verse 12 and 13, it says he went through the valley gate. Today it's time for us to go through that gate to start to build. It takes us back to John chapter 10, verse 9 as we end. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. You know which gate we need to go into? We need to go in through heaven's gate. And say, Lord, here I am by the good shepherd. And I want you to find some good pasture so we can start building. And Lord, you've called us to build. And we're not going to let no one stop this work. Because what you've started, you will also complete. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because it's so true. You've called us to rise up and build. And I pray for anyone here that is facing spiritual warfare, even in the mind, that feels insecure, that feels like their, their life is not adding up to anything, that maybe the enemy is coming and, and feeding them lies about their family, feeding them lies about their own personal aspirations. We rebuke those thoughts and we tell the enemy, enemy, you have no heritage here. You don't belong here. We belong to Jesus Christ. And you better move because we're not going anywhere. 
We pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said...